Well, we are uh, talking about the angels of Christmas. Uh, I wrote a little booklet about angels that uh, you can find in the back, and then another little booklet about uh, the Christmas story. We, we started talking about angels a few weeks ago, and then last week talked about Gabriel going to see Zechariah. We're going to have to recap some of that story as we go this week, because in the Gospel of Luke, it's really back and forth between the stories of Zechariah hearing from an angel, and then Mary hearing from an angel, and then John the Baptist is born, and then uh, uh, Jesus is born. So we'll do a little recap here. If you missed any of the sermons, uh, you can always go on YouTube and catch, and if you were home last week, we lost audio, but we were able to kind of put it back in. And um, uh, any, any podcast app that you use, if you podcast, uh, you can look up Jordan Rimmer's sermons. You can find it there, too. Uh, so we, we began with the miraculous birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah had been uh, working in the temple, and the angel Gabriel was there then and show, told him that his wife would, uh, even though she was past the age of childbirth, would have a child. Uh, and so now the Ga- Gabriel is going to be sent to somebody else, to a woman up in Galilee. So I'm in Luke chapter 1. Uh, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible or on your phone, you can kind of, I'm just going to do it like I did last week, kind of in chunks. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So it says in the sixth month. Well, what does that mean in the sixth month? Does that mean like the middle of the year? Well, if you've been following the story, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And uh, we, we said this last week, I made a little bit of a joke about this, that that Elizabeth hid her pregnancy for five months. So there were all these people that, that shamed her, kind of made fun of her. But, and most of us, if, if we had gone through something like that, we would want to show off that God has answered our prayer. But she hasn't. She has, she, she has kept her pregnancy hidden for five months. Now, the start of the sixth month of the pregnancy, Gabriel goes to Mary. This is important because Mary doesn't yet know that Elizabeth is pregnant. Okay, she doesn't know because Elizabeth has kept it a secret. Uh, and so Gabriel goes and gives this message to Mary. That's what an angel really is at its fundamental uh, place. And the word angel literally just means messenger. And so if, if, if Rome sent a messenger, it would be called an angelos, an angel. Okay, so uh, that's, this is what angels do. They, they work for God, they deliver messages, and this, this angel Gabriel is named here in Luke and then is also in the book of Daniel where he helps Daniel understand and interpret the dreams and visions that he's having. So, so Gabriel is sent from God to this area in the north now of Israel called the Galilee. And at this time... Uh, we know from archaeology that the Galilee was this really booming area. It used to be that you had to live near water sources. So we had a lot of cities that were on rivers, a lot of cities by the sea, a lot of cities by springs that come up out of it. That's what Jerusalem is. It's a spring. Um, but but it, during this period, the, the people started to figure out cisterns, the idea that they could collect water from the rain. Galilee gets 
a lot of rain in certain parts of the year. That's sort of a rainy season and a dry season. So once they figure out that they can have a cistern and collect that water from the rain, that means you can have towns where you didn't used to be able to have towns. So Galilee is this really pretty area. The, the temperature is really mild. Uh, Jerusalem is kind of rocky. It's rough. The temperatures can get really hot and they get really cold at night like it does in the desert. And so during this period, a lot of towns are being built and a lot of people are moving from Judea to Galilee. Okay, this is probably why a worker named Joseph moved to this region from where he's from, Bethlehem. He can find a ton of work. They're building cities everywhere in this, in this period. Probably Mary's parents do the same because we're going to find out she has relatives in Jerusalem. We're told that Mary is betrothed to this man, Joseph. Okay, uh, betrothal is more than an engagement, everybody. And, and we, we, in the, if you went to the play, uh, the play made a big deal out of this. There was this big betrothal ceremony. And then a year later, there was going to be a wedding feast. But there were vows taken, and there was a whole festival behind a betrothal. And to end a betrothal was more like just canceling an engagement. You actually had to get divorced. To be betrothed, you had to exchange gifts with the bridal party or with the, with the couple. You had to exchange gifts between the families. A dowry had been agreed upon and paid. So a betrothal is a lot more than just an engagement. You actually have to get divorced to end one of these. So she is engaged, betrothed, more than engaged, to this man from Bethlehem. Um, this is the same town. Who's from Bethlehem? King David is from Bethlehem. And before that, a man named Boaz, who marries a woman named Ruth, a relative before David. This is a big deal because in 2 Samuel 7, David was promised an eternal king that would come from his lineage. And prophets like Isaiah would pick this up to say that this coming Messiah would have to be from the house and lineage of David. It had to be someone from David's line. Okay, so they are betrothed. Uh, Mary is probably as young. You would typically you would get married if you were a woman because it was so important to have children. You would typically get married as soon as you were able to have children. So a lot of times we think of Mary as 12, 13 years old, which in those days was uh, really considered adulthood. They didn't have teenage years the same way that we have developed in our culture today. Okay, the, big, the big deal, though, when, to understand this betrothal, to really get behind the story, you've got to understand that if Mary gets pregnant while she is betrothed, that's considered adultery. Okay? And either she and Joseph, if they are the parents, are shamed by the whole community. Or if Mary has cheated on Joseph and they're betrothed, Mary can be stoned for adultery. It's a very serious moment. So back to the story. Gabriel, uh, verse 28, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So Gabriel comes to her and says, Greetings, O favored one, or uh, if you were raised Catholic, hail, full of grace. Okay? Uh, Gabriel tells Mary that the Lord is with her. Notice that initially, Mary, he doesn't tell Mary to be afraid. Every other time angels say, angels come 
to uh, somebody, and they say, do not be afraid or fear not. With Mary, he doesn't say that. He just says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, we, we don't know what angels look like. Uh, they're not really described in the text. We do know that halos are not a biblical thing. Halos come from Christian art. Uh, we do know that the only angels that we have described in the Bible are really weird. Um, but I, I've taken a lot of flack for ruining angels for people, and I'm really sorry about that. But I'm just trying to get you to understand that angels are, are much different than we sort of expect. And there's no description here, and you can picture them white with wings, but, but know that the text doesn't say that at all. It, it, just, uh, it just sort of, Gabriel just sort of shows up. Now, what's interesting about Mary, though, is that we're told that she is sort of frightened by Gabriel. But what does the text say? She's not just frightened by Gabriel. She's actually frightened by his message, his greeting. She's trying to discern what kind of greeting this is. Perhaps she doesn't feel favored by God. Perhaps she doesn't feel like the Lord is with her. I mean, how many of you have... If, if an angel showed up and said, Greetings, you. The Lord is with you, and you're favored. How many of you would have to say, like, Well, if I'm favored, how come this happened? Right? How come this happened? Well, if, God, if, I'm, if I'm really favored by God, I don't understand how this happened in my life and why this doesn't work out. I don't always feel real favored by God. And so not only is she freaked out maybe by the angel, but she's also freaked out a little bit by the greeting. She doesn't understand what is this greeting. But Gabriel says some reassuring words to her. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Okay, Gabriel, I think you should have said that earlier, right? Like you missed angel 101 when you were trained on how to do this. You start with do not be afraid. Now he sort of catches up here. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of your father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel reassures her, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. There's an understanding in uh, the Catholic tradition that that Mary finds favor with God because she's sinless. Um, I don't think that's true. I think people are all sinful. We're born sinful. Um, But but God has looked on her with favor in this moment. of. It's not just that she's perfect, but it's also this moment of grace. God gives grace and favor to to Mary, not by her own merit, although I think Mary is a special, special person that we in the Protestant church don't always know what to do with. But man, she, she's really neat how uh, strong a character she is and uh, how faithful she is. We'll see that as we go. We needed this point to back up and remember this story of Zechariah a little more because Luke is then comparing these two. Let's just think first about Zechariah. Zechariah is a man. Okay? He's a man who is a good Jew. He is a priest. And we get a specific location where Gabriel comes to him. Where is he? He's in the temple. He's actually out at the, the spot of incense. He's changing the incense. The angel is to the right of the incense. 
Okay, so we've got this, this man in a specific location where Gabriel meets him. But let's think about this woman then, Mary, this girl. She's young, not married, betrothed from Galilee. We are told nothing of the specifics of when this is. Is this at night? Is this early in the morning? Is this mid-afternoon? Is she at a well? That's sort of the traditionally held view. Or is she at home on the rooftop? Is she with animals? Uh, we have no idea. So Zechariah, we have all these specifics. Mary, we just know she's in Nazareth, this little town. Do you see how the stories are sort of opposites, right? Now, when you dig in, though, and you start to compare the language, you find there's even more kind of interesting comparisons. When Gabriel comes to Zechariah, he said, Your wife will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. So, so Zechariah and Elizabeth, there is a miraculous birth here because they're not supposed to have children at the age that they're at. But clearly, this isn't a virgin birth. Okay? What does the Gabriel clearly say to Zechariah? Your wife will bear you a son. Okay? So Zechariah is the father. What does Gabriel tell Mary? You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. See, see, there's parallel, but there's clearly a different thing going on with the pregnancy here. Mary is told she's going to conceive in her womb and bear a son. She's in a moment going to ask how this can be, because that's a legitimate question at this point. The words of Zechariah also clear, the words of uh, Gabriel also clearly draw on Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall, you shall, call, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, everybody see a clear line between Isaiah's reading, the language to Zechariah, and then really specifically the language to Mary. And then, and then Gabriel gives all this great Old Testament imagery. He's going to be the son of the Most High, given the throne of his father David, reigning over the house of Jacob forever, a never-ending kingdom. So clearly in all of this David prophecy that we get out of the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah, Gabriel knows his stuff. He knows his Bible. He understands how this fits within this larger picture. I mean, his, his message is just drenched in Jewish history. Then Mary said to the angel, verse 34, How will this be since I am a virgin? It's important to note that Gabriel has not told her how she's going to conceive and bear a son. Okay. And uh, she asks a fairly legitimate question, right? I mean, biologically, oh, I'm going to conceive a bear. Whoa, I've never. The, the, the word, it doesn't, the Greek literally says I've never known a man. Okay, I've never known in the biblical sense here a man. How, how am I supposed to conceive if I've never known a man? I wonder also if part of the question here is not just a biological question, but a question of worth. In other words, imagine getting the news that you're going to bear a child and raise a child that's going to be the son of God. And imagine the news that, that you are somehow, God feels you're worthy to raise the son of God, the Messiah. I wonder if part of what Mary's question is, how can this be, is not just, not just a biological question, but why me? I'm a peasant, a nobody. I'm, I'm not married. I'm not important. I have no particular skills. How can I raise a baby 
that will be called the Son of God. I mean, think about the pressure of a 12 or 13-year-old girl hearing this message from an angel. Zechariah has questions of God too. So we've got to go back to this comparison again. Zechariah says, how can this be? Because I am old and my wife is advanced in years. One of my great, the great lines of the Bible, right? He doesn't call himself, he calls himself old. He will not call his wife old just in case she can hear him. Okay? But so, so Zechariah has doubts. And because of his doubts and because of his questions, he's made mute. Now, I, I learned something. This is why you always keep studying scripture, everybody. When I watched this play this weekend... Zechariah was called both deaf and mute. When I preached last week, I talked about him being mute. Yeah, he can't speak. But then, in the play, he's both deaf and mute. So I'm literally in this play, like, trying to look at my phone to say, like, was he, was he deaf? And I went back at the text and looked, and it actually says that he will have silence. And then when they're trying to name Zachar- John, John they, try, they actually have to sign to Zechariah. So actually, I missed that one. I, I've never thought of him being deaf. I've only ever thought of him being mute. But I think the text probably is pretty clear that he's deaf. I missed that one. That's why you keep studying, everybody, because I'm still learning. You should still be learning, too. My question today is, why isn't Mary mute? Right? She questions Gabriel. She's not deaf and mute. Why is Mary's question different than Zachariah's question? Well... I think Mary's question and her tone and the attitude behind it isn't one of doubt. Right? I think, I think Zechariah has given up on childbirth. Like, he knows. He ain't never having a child. Mary's question seems to be a practical one. Okay? How is that going to work? Okay? And I think Mary comes at that question from a, a place of humility, not of doubt. Not of demanding a sign, but just saying, uh, how's that going to work? I think it's okay when God asks you to do something, when God tells you a message, for you to question it. I think in the Bible all the time, people question God. But I do think the tone's important. <laughs> like, if you're like, God, there's no way I'm doing that, and there's no way that's going to work, and that's no way that... Okay, well, you may be deaf and mute for a little while. Okay? God may have to straighten you out a little bit. But, but when God asks you to do something, he normally asks you, God doesn't ask you to do simple things. So when God asks you to do something, it's normally something you can't do on your own. You don't know how it's going to work. And I think asking God how it's going to work, wondering if you're capable of doing it, those are natural questions that it's good to ask God. And so Mary's response is different, and, and Gabriel's response to Mary is then different. Okay. Gabriel sort of seems to think with Zechariah, all right, since you question, here we go. But listen to Gabriel's response to Mary. The angels answer her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So, first of all, apparently the angel is not afraid to call Mary, Elizabeth old, right? Zachariah is scared, but the angel's like, ah, she's old, okay? But, but look at the compassion here. 
He answers, and Gabriel answers the question. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And people have tried to wonder about, like, how does that work? Does that seem like some kind of weird encounter between God and a person? No. That language of overshadow, it seems to be reflective of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Remember, there was this pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. And whenever the Israel was supposed to stay put, and whenever Moses went into the tabernacle, the cloud would come and there'd be a shadow over the tabernacle. And this same language seems to be used of the Holy Spirit uh, by Luke in, in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes upon people. There is this sense of overshadowing, of coming upon. So this is not a weird sort of a, an encounter, but, but it has this real sense of the Holy Spirit comes upon us sometimes and does things to us. Gabriel tells her that this child will be called holy and the son of God. People are called the son of God. Okay, how many of you have been told that you're a child of God? Right? But with Mary, it's a little more on the nose, right? With Mary, it's a little more specific than even that. Then he gives her a sign. Zechariah had asked for a sign. Mary doesn't ask for a sign. But, but God gives her one anyway. And what's the sign? That her relative Elizabeth is pregnant. See, now, now the stories are sort of syncing up. Because remember, Elizabeth had hidden her pregnancy for five months. So Mary doesn't know that Elizabeth is pregnant. And if you're reading the story from the start... This is the first moment you know that Elizabeth and Mary are related to each other. They've not been called relatives before. So if you were reading this with totally fresh eyes, you'd be like, oh, they're relatives. Now, how are they related? Uh, I, they could be cousins, Mary and Elizabeth. But the age gap to me would suggest that maybe Elizabeth is Mary's aunt, aunt. Um, but either way, there is this relationship between the two of them. Okay, so what's the sign? The sign is that, that your, your aunt, who has not been able to get pregnant, is now pregnant. And also Gabriel knows about it. And nobody else knows because she hasn't really started telling people yet. Okay, so what Mary's going to do is go see Elizabeth and, and check this out. And then I love this line. Gabriel ends his comments with the phrase, uh, nothing... It doesn't say nothing is impossible with God. Okay, it says nothing will be impossible with God. There's a future tense there. Doesn't mean that nothing is impossible with God. What Gabriel's saying is nothing will be impossible with God. So I wonder if Gabriel's reassurance isn't just the pregnancy's going to happen, Elizabeth's going to be pregnant, and like it's not just a right now reassurance. I think Gabriel's saying nothing will be impossible with God. In fact, I wonder if Gabriel's looking ahead at all the hard times Mary's going to have seeing Jesus go through so much. Remember, Mary's at the cross. Okay, I wonder if this isn't just about the birth, but, but, but everything will be impossible with God. I wonder if it, it, nothing will be impossible with God is actually also looking ahead to the cross and to the resurrection. Mary says this simple, faithful response. Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the reading of God's word. I love Mary's response because there are still so many questions, right? Like, oh, the Holy Spirit will come upon me and overshadow me. All right. Um, how am I going to tell Joseph? 
How am I going to tell my parents? How am I going to avoid being stoned because of this? How do I raise the Son of God? How do I parent? How do I go through what I'm about to go through? And yet often when God calls us to big things, sometimes the simplest response of faith is the best. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be. Let it go. Let it happen. From here, Mary does go and visit Elizabeth. When uh, Mary sees Elizabeth, Elizabeth, the the baby in Elizabeth's belly praises God from the womb because that's what Gabriel had told Zechariah that his child would do. He would praise, they would be the forerunner and the praiser of the Messiah from the womb. So it actually happens that way. We're not sure when Mary tells Joseph. So uh, in the play the other day, Mary tells Joseph and then goes for three months to stay with Elizabeth. Um, on Amazon Prime, there's a great uh, mini-series called The Nativity Story, I think it's called, that the BBC did a few years ago. In that, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth because she's not sure that she's pregnant yet. And then comes back three months later and Joseph finds out when he sees a baby bump. And there's a huge sort of discussion about that. We do know eventually the, the, child, the couple goes to the city of Bethlehem where Joseph is from. Shepherds visit them. Wise men come. They flee to Egypt. And I wonder how often Mary was going through all of this. Fleeing to Egypt, coming back, seeing all these signs. I wonder how many times in her life she thought back to Gabriel's message that nothing will be impossible and said, oh man, oh man, I needed that. So today, a couple of quick lessons. First of all, I think we can learn something from Gabriel. Gabriel knows his scriptures. He knows his history. He understands this moment. And he's able to put what's going on now in this whole context for Mary. And I think we as Christians need to do that. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't know the story and we don't know the history. And so we can't place what's going on now in a context that helps us understand it. I also think if you're going through a lot right now, or you're going through something here in this next year, write the phrase, nothing will be impossible for God somewhere. Okay? And and underline those words, will be. Like, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you will go through, no matter how overwhelmed you feel, nothing will be impossible with God. And, And I think we can learn a lot from Mary, too. That she is not so surprised as Zechariah to see an angel. She seems more ready. Of course, she has some practical questions. Of course, she has some questions maybe about her own value and and purpose. And and don't we all, when God asks us to do something, say, why me? It's very natural to ask. And yet, in the end, without all the answers, Mary can say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be. So whatever God is calling to you, wherever God is sending you, trust that nothing will be impossible for God and live the prayer of let it be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.